Yami Malyamei Melech Toizib Shnoiza Vichol Dorbador Yami Malyamei Melech In a small town in a city in Poland about a hundred years ago there were a massive group of people in the center of the city a whole huge group of people imagine in front of the shul here on El Dorado, imagine thousands and thousands of people standing in the middle of the street, singing. And somebody was walking, excuse me, what's going on over here? Didn't you hear? No, why is there a huge group of people? What's everyone? The Sansa Rub is coming to visit our town. The Sansa Rub was one of the big, big, big gadolim. And he was coming to visit the town. And the whole town came out to the city square in front of their shul. Imagine right here in El Dorado, thousands and thousands of people as far as you can see. And everybody's singing. And they're waiting for the Sanzarab to come visit. And everyone's, where is the Sanzarab going to stay? Where is the Sanzarab going to visit first? Everybody was so curious. And it wasn't like now where you can just, you know, text on your phone in five seconds. You know, every, everyone was curious. Nobody knew where is he going? Who is he going to visit? And in front of the whole massive group of thousands and thousands of people, there was some really fancy people with big three-piece suits and bow ties. And these were like the hush of people in the city. And they weren't necessarily like the, the, the biggest tzaddikim, but they were maybe the richest people and the most hush of the people. And they, they said, of course, the sons are up. <clears throat> Is going to be coming to my house first. I'm the most hush person in the whole town. <clears throat> and they were standing in the front. What's that called when someone thinks that he's really, really special because Hashem gave him something, like made him into a hush of a person? Balgaiva, very good. What's your name? Say it again. So there were some people, with, of course the Sansa Rub's going to come. And then after a few minutes of everyone waiting and singing, they see down, down, down in the distance, they see. And it wasn't like nowadays where you have a, uh, you know, imagine like a big limousine would pull up or a big fancy car. In those days there was no cars really. And there's a horse pulling a wagon, and everyone says, I think that's him, I think it's the sons of And finally, everyone all of a sudden, imagine this wagon is pulling, like two horses are pulling a little wagon, and it's like Kriyas Yamsuf. What happened at Kriyas Yamsuf? All of a sudden, the whole sea split. Imagine all of a sudden, thousands of people in the middle of the street, and everybody splits to the side. And of course, these fancy people are standing in the front, and they say, well, we should be in the front of everybody else because we are the most flush of the people here. And you know sometimes when it rains, there's like puddles on the side of the road. And sometimes little kids, when they see those puddles, what do they like to do? Nobody here, but maybe sometimes little kids like to go and jump into the puddle. And the water goes flying in all directions. Have you ever seen somebody do that? Yeah. Maybe some people have even done that themselves. And the wagon's pulling up. And the two horses are pulling the wagon. And there's these big puddles on the side full of like muddy water. And the wagon pulls up and all of a sudden... This muddy water goes flying, and this fancy guy standing in the front <laughs> nails them right in the face, and there's mud dripping down on their bow ties and their fancy suits. <clears throat> Excuse me! <clears throat> and obviously, they we're not so happy about that. And they move over to the side, and everyone's trying to get a look. And the Sandra had two gabayim. A gabay is like a person that takes care of the rub and shows him where to go, and they stand in front and they open the door, and all of a sudden, it's completely silent. Thousands of people are standing there, and the Sansa Rav comes down slowly, 
walks down the steps. And his gabayim are trying to like take him to show him where to go. You know, imagine he comes down in front of our shul and there's thousands and thousands of people and they're trying to come and, and introduce him and, and to say something to all the people. And the Sanzarov turns his head to the side in the opposite direction. Everyone's like standing over here. He turns his head totally the opposite direction. And he says, and they try to like, come this way, come this way. You know, trying to, this hush of the people are here. And he turns in the total opposite direction. There's nobody there even. And he says, there's Kedusha over there. Now we have, you know, like our five senses. We're able to sense things. You can hear things and we can see things and you can taste things. Big, big, big tzaddikim, they have, it's called like a sixth sense. They're able to sense when something is kadosh, when something is holy. And the Sanzarov said, I, he sensed that there was some Kedusha in the opposite direction where everybody was. And his Gabayim are trying to show him, like, no, come this way, come this way. And he says, and he starts walking that way. Nobody's there. Imagine the whole crowd is over here and he's going in the opposite direction. And usually, like, the Gabayim and people are going in front of the Sanzarov. He's not usually leading, you know, but here, no one has any clue what's going on. He, he just starts walking that way. His Gabayim start following him. And of course, what's everyone else going to do? All these people that are waiting outside, they all start following him also. And within a few minutes, Sanzarov is walking, and a huge crowd of people walking behind him in the opposite direction where everybody was. Imagine, the story didn't happen here in Muncie, in Scotland Hill, but imagine if it was to happen here. Imagine the Sanzarov's coming in front of our shul, and thousands of people there, and we're all waiting for him, and the Sanzarov points, you know behind here, to get up to Briar, there's like a little shortcut, you have to like climb up a little mountain, and then up a bit. Imagine the Sanzarov just starts leading the way, climbs up the mountain by himself, and he's like walking through the mud, and everyone's like, well, if he is going. And he starts walking down Briar, you know, imagine. Again, it didn't happen here, but imagine, I'm just giving that as an example, and he's walking, and everybody sees, well, the Sanzarov's going that way, they have to go also. And all the people start following him, and of course, these really uncomfortable people with their bow ties are upset, like, what happened over here? I don't understand what's going on. <clears throat> Meanwhile, there's some blood dripping down on their fancy suits. And the Sanzarov is walking, imagine, down Briar, leading the way, and he's got Weimar behind him, and thousands and thousands of people are behind him. And he passes the Grobner's house, and he passes the Levin's house, and he even passes the Rubin's house. And everybody else who lives on Briar, and then he keeps going and going, and he keeps heading down to the outskirts of the town, past Yisrael Muller's house, and even past you know, the next house, and the, he's at, within a few minutes, he's at the last, last, last street in the whole town. What's the street there? Sterling or Silver? The last, last, last one. And everyone says, okay, you know, there's Kedusha somewhere here. And it must be someone who lives on this block. He must. And he starts walking and walking. And he walks in between two houses at the edge, edge, edge of the town. And behind those houses, like a forest. Starts walking into the forest. And now people are really confused. It's muddy. And he just keeps walking. And everyone, well, he's the Sanzarev is going. We have to go also. There's some Kedusha somewhere. And he starts going out into the forest. And everybody's following him. And he's going deeper and deeper. Where on earth? Who lives here? And finally, after like 10 minutes, he comes to a tiny little broken down house in the middle of the forest little shack. And people are, this is where he's coming. 
This is the house of Reb Naftali. Tully was like a, a simple guy. You know, he was a farmer. He had a broken down house outside. He had a few little goats and sheep. And, you know, like that was his whole thing. He took, he milked, he milked the cows and he had a few little animals. And he wasn't really like, nobody really thought he was like a, a big tzaddik or someone very fashiv. But the Sanzarev says, this is where the Kedusha is. He walks up the steps, knocks on the door. Who is it? Reverend Tully's wife comes to the door. <clears throat> uh, it's the signs are up. Are you boys playing tricks on us again? Get out of here! <clears throat> Rebna Tully, the boys are playing tricks on us again. They're pretending to be the signs are up. <clears throat> no, it's, it's, it's the signs are up. Opens up the window. <gasps> Imagine she sees the rub standing there. Thousands of people in the middle of the forest standing behind him. I didn't realize. She opens the door. There's an old lady, maybe like 90 years old, and her husband, Rav Naftali, also in his 90s. An old, old couple. And the Rav walks inside, and everybody is... Uh, the Rav turns to Rav Naftali, and is like, is it okay if I come inside? Sure. You know, they move out of the way, and he comes inside. And he says, is it okay if I look around a little bit? There's something kadosh here. I mean, kadosh, sure goes to the back, back, back of the house. You know in like some, in people's house you have like all the stuff you store away, like old, old stuff that like never gets used, maybe like your old Purim costume or something, your old, old, old projects from when you were like four years old. And there's boxes in the back, back, back of the house. And the Sanjurab goes there to the back, back room. It's like, you know, there's like spider webs and dust everywhere. And the Sanjurab, who was an old man, starts moving the boxes aside. He says, no, no, not this one. Moves another box aside. Takes another box. Finally, in the back, back, back of the room, there's a closet. He says, the Kedusha's in here. He opens the closet, and inside the closet, there's an old wooden box. Looks like nobody touched it in years. He says, here's the Kedusha's in here. And Rabbi Naftali, who's watching all this, his face turns white. And he's sweating. And he's getting very, very nervous. And the Sanzarev slowly takes out the box and all these people crowded into this tiny little house and he opens up, opens up the box. And he pulls out something and everybody in the room <gasps> gasp. To be continued next week. Okay, thank you all for coming. The first, if you want to hear the rest of the story, this is a true story, an amazing story, come back next week. Our first prize. So Rav Naftali's schwitzing, and the Sanzarev starts moving things. You know, he himself was an old man, he starts moving things aside, and finally he takes out an old, old little tattered box. And he says, this, uh, this is where the Kedusha is. And all of a sudden, Raftali says, no! Everybody stops and turns. And the Sanzarev says, uh, Rav Naftali, if it's okay with you, I'd like to open this box. Raftali can't say no to the Sanzarev. And he takes out the box. And he says, this is, there's something holy in here. And he takes out the box and opens it up. 
And when he pulls out, everybody there gasps. <gasps> he pulls out the robes that a priest would wear. The clothing of a priest. A priest is like a, a goyish, like, you know, the person who's in charge of a church. It's like a, a goyish position. And that's what he pulls out of this box. It was old and tattered, and, but everybody immediately recognized it. That's, and the Sansa Rav says, this, this is, this, I sense that this is where the Kedusha is. By now, Ramatali is white. And the Sansa Rav turns to him and says, Ramatali, I know you don't want to talk about it, but I'm asking if you can share with us the story of this, of this piece of clothing. He has no choice. So Naftali tells the story. Naftali at this time was 90 years old. And he says, this is what happened 50 years ago. So Rabbi Naftali, if he's 90 years, it was 50 years ago. How old was he? 40 years old. Again, he was not really anyone, you know, the people really knew. He was a simple person. He, he was a farmer. He had a few animals. But there was one, one big, 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 big mitzvah that he did. In those days, you know, people really struggled people had struggled to put food on their table and Rav Naftali would go around collecting tzedakah for people. So if someone needed money, they would come to Rav Naftali, can you help me? Rav Naftali would go door to door and he'd ask. It wasn't for himself. You know, he had a few goats and a few cows and he would go door to door collecting. And one Friday, Rav Naftali is telling this to the sons of Rav and to all the people there. He says, 50 years ago, on a Friday morning, at around 8 o'clock in the morning, I got a knock on the door. And I open the door, and somebody says, Rabbi Naftali! He sees someone from their community. Rabbi Naftali, can you please help me? I, I don't have money for Shabbos. You know, I, just, I was getting ready to go buy food for Shabbos. I realized we have no money, we have no food. Naftali says, of course. That's what he does. He collects money for people. And he went around door to door. And he knocked on the first door and he says, I'm collecting for someone who needs money. Oh, of course. Takes out his checkbook and the guy gives him a check and he goes to the next door and the guy gives him a $20 bill and he goes to the next door and somebody gives him a thing of eggs and Baruch Hashem, he was able to gather enough money for this family and he comes back an hour or two later, knocks on the guy's door and says, here, Baruch Hashem, I was able to get enough food for you for Shabbos. Two hours later, Rabbi Naftali's home, getting ready for Shabbos, and a knock at the door. Oh, Rabbi Naftali, you have to help me. I, I just realized that I partially don't have food for Shabbos. It was another person that came knocking at his door. Naftali thinks to himself, you know, I just went around door to door collecting. It's a little bit embarrassing to go. Person, you have to help me, you don't understand. And mom, I have nothing. There's nothing else I can do. Naftali says, I already asked. And the guy begs him. And Naftali says, okay. And he goes around again, knocking at the door, and the guy who wrote him the nice big check says, weren't you just here two hours ago? Yeah, it's, something else came up. There's another person. Question? The check was, it was in rubles. It's, uh, we have to convert American dollars to rubles. Any accountants? We'll talk about it after. But the check was, it was probably for like $50. You know, the equivalent of $50.
a good question. So he goes around, and this time, the guy who wrote the check for $50, he gave him $25. Because he just wrote a check two hours ago for the same Reverend Aftali who came knocking at his door. And the next guy he goes to who gave him a dozen eggs, the guy says, you were just here. I know, you don't understand, I'm collecting. Okay, he gives him a few eggs. And he goes door to door, and he didn't get nearly as much, and he had to spend a lot more time. And two hours later, he comes to this person and says, here you go, Baruch Hashem, I was able to gather enough for you. A few hours later, Naftali's at home. It's two hours before Shabbos. And he gets a knock at the door. And an old, old lady comes knocking at his door and says, Are you Naftali? Yes, that's me. You have to help me. I have nothing for Shabbos. My kids are crying. We have nothing. All we have is some salt, some pepper. One slice of bread! Now Rabbi Tully really doesn't know what to do. It's two hours before Shabbos. He already went collecting to every single person in the city. What's he going to do? And the lady is crying and she's, I need this Rabbi Tully! She falls on the floor and begs him. And he realizes this is literally literally could be a question of pikuach nefesh. You know what, does anyone know what that means? Pikuach nefesh, what does it mean? You raise your hand. Yes. Say it loud. Very good. It's a danger of, it's possible that this lady and her family literally have no food. It could be a life-threatening, it could be in danger of dying, very good. And he has to help her, he doesn't know what he's gonna do. And he, two hours to Shabbos, he runs out and he goes knocking door to door and the people, the first guy who wrote the $50 check and the second time he wrote a $25 check and this time he says, enough already, I'm making Shabbos, I already gave you two checks today, you're coming to me again. And Rav Tully leaves and he goes to the next house and the guy who gave 12 eggs the first time and he gave him six eggs the second time, you know what he gave him this time? He picked up an egg and whacked it in his face. Rav Naftali got hit in the face with an egg and there's egg yolks dripping down his face and he says, take that egg and get out of here! And he goes knocking door to door and time is passing and it's getting closer and closer to Shabbos and he has nothing at all for this poor old lady and her family. And what happened next is pretty unbelievable. He's walking down the street, no clue what to do, and he says, Hashem, we need help. This lady, it's, it's, it's pikuach nefesh. We need to figure out something to do for this lady. And meanwhile, the egg, yolk, egg is still dripping down the side of his face. He's thinking if he could collect some of that and maybe fry an egg, but it doesn't look like that's going to be possible. It's already dripping down onto his clothes. And he's walking past a tavern. A tavern, or some people call it a bar, is a place where people go... They waste time, they drink beer, they get shikr, people get drunk. Some of the goyim were sitting outside and they see this Rav Naftali coming by, a, a Yiddish guy with a long beard and egg dripping down his face. And they say, hey, let's play a trick on this guy. They, they recognize him. He was the guy who goes around collecting money. And they called out to him, hey, you, Jew, come over here. And if it's his first thought was he's going to run away. He's going to get out of here. 
and he thought for a second, he said, you know, I have nothing to lose. Let me go over there and I'll ask them if they have money. Maybe they'll beat me up, maybe they won't, but this poor old lady and her family needs something for Shabbos. And he goes over and he sees these guys with like, you know, spiked green hair shooting up and like big chain necklaces. And I don't know if they had those in those days, but you know, you get the idea. And the guy had like a, an earring this big coming through his ear. It looked like someone took a bobby pin and just <laughs> stuck it through his ear. And, uh, you know, one guy with a nice big ring coming through his nose and a ring going through his tongue. He said, uh, you, Jew, what are you doing here? And he said, I'm, um, I'm trying to raise money for a poor old lady. Raise money? We'll give you money. Uh, you will? Sure, have a seat, here. He's a little bit suspicious of what's going on and he sits down and these guys are all shicker and they're, and they're drinking their vodka and their beer and they're having a good time and they say, hey, and one guy pulls out from behind his chair this robe, the robe that the priest wears. How he had it or what it was doing there, who knows? And he says, Jew, how much money are you looking for? And he said, I'm looking for uh, 20 rubles. 20 rubles? We'll give you 40 rubles if you put this on and walk through the streets of the town and we're going to be playing music. And his face turned white. And he said, a Jewish person is going to walk through the town wearing the clothing of a priest with all these guys with the nose rings and the bobby pin stuck in their ear playing music, walking in front of him, laughing and yelling at him. And he said, I, I, uh, I don't think I could do that. Okay, then get out of here! And he took their cup and splashed it in his face. <laughs> and he got up to leave. And then he thought about it as he was walking away and he said, I have to do this. This lady and her family have nothing to eat. Spikuach nefesh. And he came back to them and, you changed your mind? And he said, I did. And he put on the clothing and he walked through the streets and they were blasting music. And imagine, it's an hour now before Shabbos and everyone's getting ready for Shabbos. And imagine the old... You know, a couple is sitting there, the lady is like at the sink, making the potato kogel and looks out the window. Yanko! Yes? Uh, I think I'm dreaming. Uh, what do you mean? You know that guy who lives in the forest, uh, Reb Naftali? Yeah. He's, um, wearing, um, some funny clothing and hanging out with some funny people and then he starts to hear the music and it's like rock and roll music and you see this Jewish guy just walking tears coming down his face and Yankel comes over to the window where his wife is and looks out the window and can't believe it here's Reb Naftali a guy from their community walking through the streets wearing the clothing of a priest as they're blasting music and what on earth is going on? And all the Yidden getting ready for Shabbos are looking out their windows and they see what's going on here. And they said, obviously, Rav Naftali, 
He's probably not even a Yid. Who knows what's going on with him? Maybe he wants to convert. Maybe he likes the Goyim better than us. And people were yelling out there, Get out of here, Reb Naftali! We don't want to see you again! Imagine what kind of embarrassment. And people were throwing more garbage. And by now he has the egg yolk dripping down on one side and beer dripping down on the other side. And his tomato is getting hit on the top of his face. And he finally gets home 10 minutes before Shabbos, smells like garbage, comes home crying, and he collapses. And he's just... And he remembers he needs to get the money. He runs out, still wearing his clothing. He runs over to those guys and says, Hey, remember the... Oh, yeah, here you go. Throw him some money to give him the 40 rubles. He runs over to the store, quickly buys whatever he can, and brings it over to this old lady's house. And walks home. As everybody's on their way to shul, Friday night, he's coming home, smelling like garbage, wearing clothing of a priest. And nobody, for 50 years, had any clue what this was all about. And you could imagine people were not happy with him after that. And he decided he's not going to tell anybody about it. No one's even going to believe him. He took this thing covered in garbage, this priest's clothing, and threw it in the box and said, I never want to look at this again. And here he is in his house telling the sons of and all the people gathered there. And he said, I, I, I planned on never, ever, ever telling this story. But the Sanzarov asked, and the Sanzarov sensed that there was Kedusha, and he said, I, ha- I have to tell the truth. And a few years later, Maftali was Nifter. And in his will, people write a will. It's like a little a note that people write about what they want done after they die. And it said in his will, the Sanzarov told him he should be buried in that garment, the priest's clothing, because that was so halic. He embarrassed himself and the whole community shunned him and hated him because of that. And he saved this lady's life and her whole family. And he didn't care about the embarrassment. And he said he should be buried. And he was buried in the clothing a few years later that the priest wears. Thank you, everybody, for listening. A good And now it is time for our raffle.